0: Lush pile we have for you today uh three poems and they're all for the monsters issue so get ready to get scary Mm -hmm. and think about monsters all things monsters um i am kathleen volk miller and i'm co-editor of the painted Ride quarterly and director of the publishing program here at drexel university we're in the um Sound Studio here on campus, and very very happy to have Marion Wren in the room. Yay! Yay!
1: I'm very very happy to be
0: here at Drexel.
1: I um, broke my keychain today, and I, I went to the Drexel bookstore and got myself some
0: Drexel bling. So it's a keychain <laughs>
1: with the dragon on it, and it's going back to Abu Dhabi with me. So won't
0: that be Yay. great? Represent. <laughs> she can think about me every day, every time she unlocks something. <laughs>
2: And um, I'm Caitlin McLaughlin, sitting next to Marion here. I am the digital communications co-op for Drexel Publishing Group. This is about my six-month reading for PBQ, and I am an English major at Drexel University.
3: I am Tim Fitz, and I'm still wearing dirty shorts. <laughs> <laughs> Very dirty shorts. And um,
2: They got
0: dirtier uh, you know yes, somehow. Yeah, they're dirtier. <laughs> <laughs>
3: and uh, I'm a fiction writer, and... Uh, I teach here at Drexel University and at the Curtis Institute of Music.
4: Woohoo! And I am Jason Schneiderman, Associate Editor at Painted Bright Quarterly, coming to you from my yellow Parsons table in the Bedford-Stuyvesant neighborhood of Brooklyn.
0: Yay! Miss you, need you for real to come down and be in the studio one day. Uh, We're going to have to make that happen. Indeed. So. Let's jump right in, ladies and gentlemen. Um, As our loyal listeners know, you can go to pvq.drexel.edu, dial up this episode and see these poems on the page. Uh, The first one is a prose block called The Secret. And again, all three of these are by Dana Sonenshan. Mm -hmm. And
2: um, who would like to read The Secret? I'll go for it. The Secret. Two boys of nine or ten in yellow slickers. The first time I saw them, one stood high on the bank, watching the water, hands in his pockets. The other ran down the hill, holding his eye out in his palms, drops ringing, grass shining wet with rain, rock, dark like a rook. A broken oar split the surface of the river. The next night they came down from their stone keep and sang sweetly, holding hands. We are the eyes from the eye tower. Then the river flowed under and the road gave in one sweeping curve. I had to know. So I took a whirlpool down, cool and smooth as metal, came up spiraling, my mouth full of blood. I spit on the causeway, put my fingers where my teeth had been and told no one what I'd seen. But you know the river, I mean.
1: It's so creepy. That's pretty creepy. <laughs> so creepy.
2: Holding his eyes out in his palms. Right. <laughs> All right, monsters issue. Here we
1: go. Let's we talk about are the this eyes club. from the eye tower.
0: I'm the no lowest happy. <laughs>
1: Two boys of nine or ten in yellow slickers.
0: Right. So, so you've so got those
1: creepy, be... creepy
0: twins.
1: <laughs> uh, the first time I saw them, the right? Shining. So they've been <laughs> yeah. appearing, yeah. right?
2: <laughs> um. Let's a look this over.
1: Yeah. So, all right, um, podcast listeners, what, what you might not know is everybody in this room is ha- bent over these poems and looking at them very carefully, <laughs> focused on the lines. Um, and I was joking earlier that the circular table in the studio is a little bit like a cauldron. It really does feel like we're <laughs> over
0: the, the witch's brew. And the river flowed under, and the road flowed through.
4: What does that mean when you have the dream where your teeth falls
1: out? Oh, it's, doesn't it mean impotence, right? It's signaling that your, your sense of powerlessness, like when all your teeth
2: fall out. Ooh. I thought teeth were something about sex, but I might have made that up. Oh, okay.
3: What if they fall so in your mouth? a different kind of impotence. What, what if they fall out, but they stay in your mouth? <laughs> like you have a mouth full of loose teeth. Is that the same yeah. thing? Yeah.
0: Well, that's a creepy one, yeah. 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 I, I think I have heard um, what Marion said, that you have no power in, in a certain capacity. Some capacity, you have no power.
1: I, okay, so what I love about this poem is this—the the way it gets out of it, right? So I spit on the cosmic, put my fingers where my teeth had been, ugh, and told no one what I'd seen. But you know the river, I mean. Like there, there is a a coyness and crypticness and creepiness that reassures me about the what feels very much like a, a dreamscape right oh and, yeah and had it had mm-hmm. it ended with and it, i woke up it was all a dream i'd want to spork my eyes out right but instead, <laughs> your
2: eyes <laughs> <Spork him. laughs> that's holding all, his eyes all. out in his palms.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly <clears throat> mm-hmm. so i took a whirlpool down i mean we're we, of course we're in a fantasy space here right? right a fantasy or a dream or something um and i, I think these twins well, I don't we're not positive that they're twins. We've put that on them. But these boys, um, they came down from their stone keep. So that means they live in a hollow in the rocks in the side of the mountain. And and um they are the eyes of the eye tower. So this whole thing is uh, fantastical. Mhm. Are you getting enough images? Are you like is there enough here to hang on to? Are you with her in this? Weird world. <laughs> I have a hard time at the turn to the river
4: mm. because that's sort of where it stops being about the boys and kind of starts being about the speaker.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: And I don't know, like that, that transition, I, I'm not sure I made it 100%.
0: I'm
2: confused by the last line, but you know the river I mean. Well, she isn't going to tell you everything
0: she saw. But you know what river she's talking about. Right. That's, that's how I took
3: that. I've never thought about this before now, but I, I know that I don't like anything about other people's dreams. I don't like hearing about their dreams. I don't like reading about the dreams. But oddly, I do like hearing about recurring dreams. And I realize this, mm-hmm. once it's this person has been to the same place, then there's some connection between the dream world and the external world and there's a kind of tension in between that.
0: okay.
3: I I woke up, I won't bore you with the recurring dream that I had this morning, but I I had one this morning, and so maybe I'm just in the right mindset. But I do think that there's some connection Mm -hmm. between the the person's life and their psychological state that I find interesting, even though I don't kind of get a lot of what's going on. Mm -hmm. But the last line for me, Pulls me back in through it. Mm.
0: I I I know that this is probably my own aesthetic, but I think I need a little more of a literal narrative. Mm -hmm. This I'm not.
4: I I was the same way. That I needed a little more connective tissue.
1: Yeah, so the poem is it sort of ungenerous in that way, right? It calls itself the secret, and it doesn't give you a uh, uh, like fair footing, right? It's just giving you like images, right, which do skew t- almost towards like a kind of genre fiction, right? It mm-hmm. it, um, it really does, like you know, I didn't realize how far away from the like <laughs> I was sitting. <laughs> Apologies. Um, yeah, so it's 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 a little ungenerous with those details. It doesn't give you like the the context for for the way these images are sort of spiraled. Spiraling up, right, in into the the, the speaker's um, reverie or confession, right. But it's it's a strange confession without confessing much, right? Other than just creeping you out um, with those images of twins, right? And I, and I, are they twins? Uh, well, I, listen. The reason I the reason I said they're twins, they're not. They're like you know they're of different different ages, but they're wearing those yellow slickers, so they're gonna look uh, okay like they're visually looking like like. A, a pair, the same, right?
2: right? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like in The Shining, like the yeah. twins. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So she's not she's not making a big deal of their twin nests necessarily. It's just this, you know, creepy apparition of of kids in slickers, right? <laughs> right. In the rain, and then it becomes this like st- wicked strangeness of like you know their eyeballs and whirlpools and what's happening at the bottom of that river.
0: And she wrote the whirlpool down to? Hmm.
2: Is there some deeper secret that we're, I don't know, maybe missing in all of this? Is she trying to tell us something with the dream? I think she's not telling.
3: For me, the scary stuff isn't things like eyeballs in the hands. To, in my opinion, or the effect that it has on me is it's trying too hard. Hmm. The thing that's scary for me is, but you know the river I mean, because that they're gonna have to go back there. Like with The Shining, all the rooms with the blood and the old lady and all that stuff are not really that scary to me. It's the idea of not being able to write a novel all winter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just being stuck in that room and your imagination. And it's it's a hard place to be when you're, everything's echoing and you drive yourself crazy. Um,
1: Yeah, well, right. So, and and part of the terror of The Shining was like the quotidian nature of all that, right? It's like just, you know, the way Kubrick did it, right, was just to make it this family, like, nuclear catastrophe, right, right. like, this nuclear family's catastrophe. This is so far away from, yeah. like, familial or or familiar, right? It, but for me, what it does is, like, work this, like, creepy iconography, and it almost feels like an inca- like some kind of, like, incantation, like, this confession is also like a magic two right mm-hmm. but what I, I have to say by calling the poem The Secret instead of calling it like Baba Yaga or giving it like <laughs> giving it like a demon's name or something to to give the reader something to hang on to like that like giving the mythology yeah right yeah. it's 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 a little it, it skids off for me it skids yeah. out you know
0: yeah um since we have two more by Dana do you think we're ready to vote
1: yeah Should I be? think Everybody so good?
0: Mm-hmm. okay let's do it One, two, three, vote. And what's coming in from New York? Okay, I'm afraid that one didn't make it. Uh, So, um, no to the secret, but we're gonna move on and read another one from Dana, and this is Creature from the Black Lagoon. Okay, this is also a prose block, and I guess I'll do it. Creature from the Black Lagoon. My neighbor leads a life of fiction and once in a while invites me in to make believe she's got a spotless apartment, a couple kids, religion. It's hard to keep up with the plot. The radiator hisses like a cast iron snake or the kitchen faucet drips and a roach slips out from under a plate. She changes her age like her clothes every few days. Sometimes she just stares where water scales the wall and says she'll give up booze. One night, the building's old pipes ring and then my phone. I heard you typing. I'm writing a novel, too, she says, about some people I know. I sigh and lean on the wall we share. Soon she's breathing into my ear. So you think it's your honey? Forgot his keys? No. Drops the keys. He knocks and calls, louder. Because you were in the shower, yeah, and you let him in, but he's not your honey. He's a man in flippers and a black rubber suit. Universal Studios, 1954. I roll my eyes, but then I think of her, hunched over, listening behind her door, as keys jangle onto hardwood, as this thing between a man and a beast slithers in. I say... Sorry, I left the water running. You'll have to stop by tomorrow and tell me how it ends. When I hear her slippers in the hall, I shiver and pretend there's no one home.
1: Nicely read, nicely read. So much
0: fun.
1: <laughs> so this um, Super duper. Dana titled the batch of poems that she submitted to Submittable. I believe monster remakes I need to double check that but I think ah. I think that's what they were called um, and this is this is definitely in the spirit of a monster remake
4: yeah so is the problem that none of us had seen the secret
1: is what what?
4: Is there, is there like a movie The Secret that none of us knew that that was a
0: reference oh, to Oh maybe but I don't know. <laughs> no, when you, yeah, it's so funny no, when you're like The I'll, Secret. I
4: like this one much more.
0: I only know about that yeah. book that changes people's lives.
4: That's, that's called what
0: the I was going The only secret <laughs> I know is that one. Like I'm going to manifest excellence <laughs> just by thinking about movie it. Movie right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so for me, I am a story gal, and all of this story was rich for me. You know, I, I see a whole movie. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> right as Bug.
1: Tim, what do you think?
3: Well, my my background is filled with neighbors who have invaded my life like this. <laughs> and so it's like I'm this. gonna have I'm gonna feel a little closer to this. I had I had in grad school I had a I lived in the basement of a house and a guy lived next door and used to talk to me in his grandmother's voice while he was sleeping. And Wait, it reminds I you creeping me
1: out so hard. Yeah. Do that again? You had a roommate who yeah. did what?
3: He, would, he lived in the room next door to me, and he would walk in his sleep and talk in his sleep, and sometimes I'd be up all night writing, and he would talk in his grandmother's voice, and sometimes he would talk to me in that voice. Oh, my Lord, and, my um, Lord, my so Lord. So I would like, write with a steak knife next to me. <laughs> and I, I've, I've had a number of neighbors like this where for some reason I never really... They could hear everything that was happening in my apartment, uh, and just complain about the noise—like normal noise, like you and your roommate are talking—and they would call and say, "Listen, it's too loud over there. What's going on?" And anyway, this is—I love this idea of these neighbors, their lives intertwining for some reason that the, the writer is uncomfortable with. And it's almost like a lifeline to the other person. They're so lonely and demented. They're going to invade your life whether you like it or not. And uh, I like—I I really like reading about somebody else's experience instead of thinking about my own. And for some reason, I'm hearing an echo. Yeah. So.
4: He does a great job of connecting our imagery from that film to kind of a, a creepy story about the self. I was I was impressed.
1: Yeah, you know what, Jason, I, I like that too. It's almost yeah. om, almost a kind of like ekphrastic move, right? Where it's like you've got the the film, right, and the, the creepy feeling from that film and the character from the film invading this poem. Mm-hmm. Right, but then the the poets created a different universe for the character, right? Like created a different universe for the reference, um, and the universe that she's created is is creepy and specific, and I'm in, right? Like I buy that. <laughs> I buy that universe. Yeah. Um, and and the illusion, right? That's that's working inside of it. So,
3: and this uh, it's an unbelievable line. I'm writing a novel too. I mean, how awful would it be Ugh. to hear that? Yeah, and you know you're in. For a, you <laughs> right. know you're in for an hour. Right. Oh my gosh!
0: Right. I, and, and it's just uh, about some people I know. Yeah. That's so <laughs> no great. Yeah. It's a novel about some people I know. <laughs> yeah, I totally want to spend more time with them. Right.
3: Everything that's working in this uh, everything that wasn't working in the other poem is working. It seems like right. all the things we wanted right. are now here,
1: right. which makes me go back to Jason's point. Like maybe there is a film or some horror story called The Secret that because because I'm not catching that piece of information, the piece fails. right. right? right. But that's, I mean, it says as much about me as it does the poem. if there is the the key to it, right? right. that i'm I'm just missing. but.
3: But I would have yeah, liked this poem. You're not alone. Poem. None
2: of us got right. it. none so of us got I, it. None I would have liked
3: this it. poem even if I hadn't seen Creature the Black Lookout.
2: Yeah. I haven't seen it, and yeah. I still like it. And you still like so it? it. <laughs> you, right? Have you actually watched that?
4: I mean, you just know. Do you know anyone has actually watched the mm-hmm. Frankenstein movie from 1931 all the way through?
0: M- I have. Me?
1: <laughs> when? Yes. <How>? Well... <laughs> I grew up watching Creature Double Feature, which was a Saturday afternoon uh, TV broadcast, which was what it said, Creature Double Feature. So it was back-to-back horror films. Um, so this is where I got my education for, like, you know the absolutely
0: the the teenage werewolf and all the, all yeah. the Frankenstein, all and, the Hammer films, right? And, like, and Pittsburgh, I forget what the name of the show was, but the host was Chilly Billy Cardilli. No, yes, Chilly Billy Cardilli. Chilly Billy Cardilli. Any of you uh, who might recognize that name, please write. Be, and we can talk about Jilly Billy Cardelli. That's Girdelly. great. Um, but so, anyway, back to this poem. I think... You guys have actually seen The Creature from the Black Lagoon? I
1: didn't.
3: I've seen it like 40 times. Yeah. My kids wow. watch it all the time.
1: I got I, This guy I know who I think was teaching at Bronx Community College wrote like a, either his dissertation on The Creature from the Black Lagoon or is doing ed- an edited anthology on the on the film wow. as well. So, yeah.
0: Wow. So, um, I think we might already be ready to vote or am I. yeah, let's yeah. do it. Let's do it. Ready to vote. Yeah.
1: Okay. Chili Billy Cardilly. Here we go. <laughs>
0: Creature from the Black Lagoon. Let's do it. One, two, three. And it's a unanimous end. Woo-hoo! Yay, Dana. Yay, Dana Sunshine. So um, those are good. that's good that's really good results uh, one out of oh, two that's yes. and we have one more by her that um, is set up differently than the other two both of those others are prose blocks and this one is not it's it's little couplets set into three stanzas and uh, Jason are you well enough to read for us I miss your voice yeah, yeah, totally. totally. I'm right. cool. yeah. very cool
4: all right the return of the mummy at midnight, it's Kari's, clutching his heart and game-leg trailing. He needs a good start, but he won't stand still for his priestess's goods being touched. Her ghost returns to girlhood or a handful of dust, but he remains, cursed, rag-wrapped, limping through reels without words. Once we swore, cross my heart and hope to die, and stared into glass cases where mummies lie, holding hands our monstrous fascination, taking in needles, death, and devotion. A toe dark as a raisin, the Rosetta Stone, eternal pyramids copulating oxen. When we unlock dead tongues and tombs, it was because we knew the future loomed beyond chill doors. We held on to love like a bomb. We didn't want to be left alone after all, and couldn't quite believe in sky blue heaven or living on without flesh and bones.
1: Nicely read, Jason Schneiderman. Nicely read. I really like that ending.
0: I like that ending. I was a little, I don't want to say lost, lost. I was a little. Um... I was lost at the beginning. Yeah. We, we yeah. a scene from the mummy movie. Yeah, I, I didn't, know, yeah. I wasn't getting a sense of anything. I wasn't locking in. Oh, I think that's a that great description last... of the mummy's, mummy's walk, right?
1: Like, he's clutching his heart, right? so Karis is the mummy Karis oh, Jason said it beautifully how do you say it Karis Karis I have
4: no idea right so I
1: that's that's the, that's the mummy's well, name said right? It beautifully and he's clutching his heart and and his, he's like trailing that leg like you can almost see him go like heading towards you right <laughs> and he needs a good start but he won't stand still for his priestess's goods being touched that's funny <laughs> right so her ghost returns to girlhood or a handful of dust but he remains cursed and rag wrapped so it's like describing his Predicament. Yeah, you know,
0: looking through reels without words. And then, and now we step out mm -hmm. and announce the speaker. Once we swore, cross my heart and hope to die. Right. So the the we is the speaker, and our monstrous fascination with these mummies, right? Mm -hmm. To just stare in these cases. Uh... What's the Rosetta Stone? Eternal pyramids, copulating oxen. Those are just images that are being
1: engraved I, in the. I in the think, right? A, tip, I, a toe yeah. dark as a raisin. Like, is that like a mummified toe, right? Yes. yes. And yes. the yes. Rosetta Stone. I I can imagine that being a, a, you know, a description of hieroglyphics, right? Eternal pyramids, copulating oxen. Those right? are the designs, designs on, the, right? on the
0: case, yeah.
1: And then the third stanza, right? It moves back out into the sort of abstraction, sense-making idea. In, couldn't quite believe in sky blue heaven or living on without our flesh and bones.
3: Is is she saying? She can't. She can't believe in sky blue heaven, or she can't believe in sky blue heaven, but not being there with, without our flesh and bones.
4: Yeah. Right, like just yeah. being
3: in heaven as a spirit. Right. Well, being a mummy, it's
4: like she can't be a mummy.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
4: she can't imagine living without her flesh and bones.
0: Right.
1: Yeah, which is I don't know, like I, it's that's a sort of like um, what confession of an inability to believe in the eternal, or immortality, or or what?
2: Well, maybe it's the, eternal. Yeah. Devotion and love too, because in the beginning we're talking about Karras, um won't stand still for his um, he won't stand still for his priestess's goods being touched, so he's still defending his beloved even in death. And then there's this couple here looking at the mummies, and they can't imagine this kind of eternal devotion. I guess that's the yeah. way I viewed it. Yeah, Caitlin,
1: mm-hmm. because and then that's a match from the first stanza to the third, right? So Karis is like you know, sort of limping on, right? and then in this at the end it's that is the fiction right that is the what makes it impossible yeah
3: reading of these three together the, the first one didn't have enough for me to hold on to the second one had everything and this one for me kind of lies somewhere in in between mm-hmm. right yeah. kind of but i mean Ew. With with the creature of the black lagoon, we get to know so intimately intimately her moment with mm-hmm. the woman.
0: Mm-hmm. why am I just so so less engaged with this one? like I'm not I was enraptured by the by the lagoon the and this I'm just there's nothing wrong, but I'm not like going
4: it, it doesn't have the same it doesn't have the same kind of spark it doesn't have the same um i mean i think the distance i think that what's really exciting about the second one is the way that the um movie imagery infiltrates the actual life and Mm -hmm. in this one i think that they're kept very separate Mm -hmm. i think Mm -hmm. that might be Mm -hmm. kind of what's Mm -hmm. exciting us last that that there's a there's a much clearer divide between the real world and the film
2: and it's all very wrapped up um i think that's not the issue I'm having because there's nothing really wrong with it. No pun intended with wrapped up from the mummies, but um, it's all very you know just tied together with a bow for me. Yeah. That's that's yeah. what the feeling I'm getting.
1: Well, you know what, Jason, that that notion of keeping it separate and then Caitlin's point about it being wrapped up with a bow. Like I call that creature from the black lagoon, like it, as if it was experimenting with ekphrastic moves. There, this one really does, yeah. right? The return of the mummy really does. It's a like the poem feels like it's rendering and engaging with with the film right um, describing the film and then using the film to sort of like say or comment upon the relationship that the speaker is experiencing so it's right. a speaker's relationship with the film speaker's relationship with this other person who like shares this joy in being creeped out by by the mummy story um, and maybe because that because that project seems a little less... Complicated than the project of Creature from the Black Lagoon, which is like, it, it, again, inventing that that world of the apartment. Um, maybe that's part of the reason we're sliding off this one, right? Yeah. Yeah. And not getting traction. But I will say, I dig it. I like, I, you know, Tim was just clutching his heart. I think that was inadvertent, right? Jim, <laughs> <laughs> are you okay? Are you okay? Are you becoming a mommy? <laughs> right. Um, but I do, I do, that first stanza has me charmed.
0: Should we we vote? I think so. I think Mm -hmm. so. Are we ready? One, two, three, vote. And how's it look? It looks like this one's not going to happen. Yeah. All right. So we do have uh, from Dana. Thank you, Dana, so much for Creature from the Black Lagoon. Great poem. Wonderful, wonderful poem. Thrilled to have it in our Monsters issue. Um, so do we want to Yeah, you
1: know what? This is actually a great segue to a, a topic um, that's come to our attention. Um, and I think Kathy can probably do a better job of describing it. But I think the, having an episode in which uh, a poet's work um, has been both accepted and rejected is a great segue to talking about um, some of our contributors actually saying no to us when we asked <laughs> them to participate in the podcast. Yeah. So. Well,
0: I think that we've, we've addressed the no before but mm-hmm. what we were thinking about doing is talking about anger uh, coming with the no. So um, somebody that we asked recently responded back um, to say there was no mention of the podcast in your guidelines when I submitted and no. And I also want to withdraw this completely. Yeah. And we were we were quite stunned, and and still are. And what what I would like to discuss is actually um, why there would be anger. You know, um, in our letter when we write the request, we we said that we only began this enterprise in March, and obviously the letter is asking for permission. Um, it's not like anything was being taken away from this author or um, any any obligation, any leaning in in any way. I just, I'm still, this happened a few weeks ago, and I'm still perplexed as to why um, he came back at us with anger for asking, (laughs) you know, and withdrew the poem. And then um, very recently, we had somebody make an assumption that we were going to read work and tear it up. And, um, And that was strange. Somebody else said, no, why would I let you? Uh, you know destroy my work in a public forum and I have no idea why that assumption would be made that it was going to be a negative Mm -hmm. conversation why we would that wouldn't be pleasant for anyone (laughs) uh, us or our (laughs) listeners to sit around and pull apart a piece so what do you guys think why was why did we have an angry an angry person
2: I'm very confused by the second um, person saying that we were going to tear apart their work um, because personally, um, if I wasn't a part of PBQ and somebody had asked me to be a part of the podcast, I would first listen to the podcast and we do accept a majority of the works, you know, just by the data and we never really say anything that's um, rude or, You know, we never tear a poem apart. So that's really what confuses me about that. But maybe it's the name. Slush pile implies that it's going to be torn apart. Oh, interesting. Torn apart. Interesting
1: that the actual, the name itself is indicating something about, like, a lack of quality. And therefore we're going to, it's like the gong show. Right. Right?
4: Uh, (laughs) Hmm. Well, I think that, like, I mean, a lot of people have had, I mean, I know, like, I was on an undergraduate literary journal when I was an undergraduate. (laughs) And we had a meeting that was just sort of got like increasingly mean, like everything that was being, everything was being discussed and rejected. People were, you know, just like meaner and meaner and meaner as the evening went on. And um, and of course, like, you know, most of the people who were in the room were people who had submitted and it was so so toxic and everyone was so upset and so hurt but kind of like you know, moving forward with this ethos of, of thick-skinnedness, um, that it really, it, it, it kind of ended the journal. Like it was just, it took it took a really long time to recover from that. Um, and so I think a lot of people do have notions of editorial boards that are not looking to curate a positive, I, mean, I know I say this all the time, but yeah. are not looking to curate, but are looking to gatekeep or, you know, trying to find what's wrong in order to keep something out instead of you know being really dedicated to finding amazing work that we want to present to our
0: readers. Yeah. Right. Right.
1: Yeah. I I wonder too about about the impact of the MFA workshop on this too, right? So um, you know, so so many experiences in in that workshop setting can be positive, but you know, some come away from that feeling like harangued and beat up and, Absolutely. and just like devastated right. by getting comments from their colleagues. And perhaps the assumption is that that's exactly what happens, right, in the editorial process
0: too, right?
1: Right. Like it just carries over.
0: Toxic, but toxic. What's so funny that you would use those words, workshop, is the people that have been really happy, the, the vast majority of our authors have written to even thank us. Um, for the way we discuss their work, whether we accept or reject them. And um, they often liken it to the workshop experience, but in the positive way. They must Mm -hmm. have had good MFA programs (laughs) or supportive (laughs) workshop experiences or something, because um, that usually goes hand in hand, the positive feeling Mm -hmm. after the podcast and that workshop reference. Right, which makes,
1: I think, you know, not to be defensive, but... I think what we do on the slush pile is kind of progressive in that it is the positive workshop experience for people who might never go to an MFA program or who've been out of the MFA program so long they kind of forget this experience of, you know, thoughtful people taking time, you know, and and being humble with with the work that's been submitted to PBQ and, and, and listening to the editors be grateful and focused you know on on the work that's in front of us yeah.
4: i also felt that there might be um in the person who said uh you know there was no mention of this when i submitted if there wasn't a dig about that about how long we take to respond yeah totally That, yeah. um you know like oh for heaven's sakes like since i submitted this you've created a whole new podcast and you've done all this <laughs> stuff about, you know why weren't you reading my poems right um, i think and okay. so, but, and i mean do you think like the world has gotten less patient i don't know that the world has actually gotten that much faster it's definitely
3: Uh, less patient
4: but i mean everyone really expects a lot of response really fast now yeah
3: absolutely yeah well from a writer's point of view i mean we all we've all experienced this i mean i mean rejection always hurts so when you but for me the worst type of rejection is getting the blank rejection slip where it just says our work your work is not right for us at this time or whatever and you've, you've come away with it with nothing. You have no idea if it if they liked it or they didn't like it. And it's a frustrating part of being a writer. And I feel like it's also a frustrating and, and scary part of being a writer, hearing people talk about your work. But it, it is a business that's that has a lot of emotional risk. So if you want to write and you want to get your work out there, You have to you have to understand the possibility of some people hating it, yeah, and and some people liking it. I mean, like the 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 last three poems we did, we all loved "Creature from the Black Lagoon," and we and the other two poems. It wasn't that they were bad poems; it just didn't resonate the same way as this poem, right? So so clearly, the poems are well crafted, and the person has a high uh, attention to detail. And language, Um, and and I think every time you write a story or a poem, you you wonder if it's going to resonate, and sometimes you're surprised by which ones do and which ones don't. But getting any insight at all for me as a writer of what's happening behind the the closed door of the editorial meeting is gold, because then at least I can navigate uh, my sensibilities a little more clearly.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I would dare say both of these reactions were truly emotional mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. reactionary. You know, mm-hmm. you know, the why maybe maybe that's for the person's therapist right, to find right, out. Right. You know, but but to just immediately assume that they're going to be ripped up or to just be angry that they didn't know there was yeah. a chance of this. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh I, 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 it just is a, an emotional reaction and writing is an emotional business so yeah. mm-hmm.
1: well I and I also want to like it up. just broaden the context out a little bit too like and thinking about okay what's the history of criticism what's the history of books being reviewed and you're never guaranteed a positive review and sometimes negative reviews can be ex- like vicious right mm-hmm. um, but you know, poets at this level rarely get this kind of quote review of right. their work, right? So there is a there is a quality of the review here. So maybe part of the reaction to it is like, ooh, like it, you know, it they're going to expose a light, and it's going to be negative, and and yeah. that and it's going to be negative and terrible. So that's one right. thing, right? Yeah. And then the the anger about like the the changing the terms of the agreement sort of thing, right? Right. And I I wonder too if that's also not part of a cultural like reaction to how quickly technology changes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Grande Literary Magazine, you know, we were on the front line of, of digitizing our ar- our archive back in we 2000. We were one of the first people online at all. Right? So yeah. but now yeah. we're going back twenty years. You're looking right. at a twenty year like 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 curve of change in technology, right. but things change so quickly, so quickly, so quickly. Maybe there's a little resistance and anger about that too, you know, yeah. among people who recall with great nostalgia the stamp
0: <laughs> and the <is> Well, oh.
4: <laughs> oh, and podcasting. I mean, just the right? word podcast—that's I mean, a pretty new word,
1: right? Yeah, yeah,
2: you're right. Yeah, Caitlin, you wanted to say something? Oh, I was just going to say that um, another response that the authors might have is that future magazines might see hear this and might never publish them because we say something negative about them. That might be a reaction for why they don't submit. But I don't necessarily understand that either because everyone writes, um, I don't wanna say good or bad, but work resonates with different editorial boards in different yeah. ways. Right.
0: Obviously, people send to another magazine and get published, right? Mm-hmm. Right.
2: Um, I well, mean, you know what,
1: though, that's worth We take that for granted, right? A new writer might not get that, right? A new writer might, you know, feel like, oh, it's been rejected, therefore it's bad. Not, it's been rejected, it doesn't fit. Right. Right? Right.
2: I think before this, before becoming a part of PBQ and before taking on this internship, I might have thought that as well, that if something was rejected from one magazine, then it's just downright bad and I should just throw it out. Right.
3: I wonder if there's a problem in the classroom, because when I was in college— Creative writing teachers very uh, willingly told you that your work was awful. <laughs> and if we wrote, gave them a bad review, they were not going to get fired.
1: Right.
3: But adjunct creative writing teachers will get fired for that. If you tell enough people their stories are awful, you'll get bad reviews and they'll go online and, and they'll, they'll blast you on Rate Your Professors. And so there's a, there's a hesitancy to tell the person, listen, you need to do something else besides write. Or your stories are awful because you could lose your job, and so as a result, more young writers, less young writers, are hearing that their work is awful. I'm I'm internally thankful for my teachers at South Florida who told me on occasion, "This story sucks. This is cheesy. <laughs> fix it. Go home and fix this part of your life." Because then I could go do it. I could go home and I could yeah. say, "Thank God, no, you know, I can get on this." Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I don't hate those teachers for it. I, you know. But I think that time has changed as well.
0: Yeah. Well, I'd like to end on a positive note and say that the vast majority of people that we've asked are excited and happy about participating in the podcast. There's only been these few. People, I mean, you know, one person said, I'm not ready, and I really respected that honesty and truth from her. Um, it's, it's these recent things with the anger and the assumption that made me kind of, you know, blink. Uh, but most of the people um, say yes, and everybody who's participated has... Uh, written to say how grateful they were for the time we spent on their work. So but I, w-
3: I would like to encourage the young writers out there in the classroom to accept the negative comments from your teachers. They're not doing it because they don't like you, yeah. or they don't think you're going to grow. They're they're only doing it because they want you to be a better writer. Right. And so it's tough to do from a teacher's point of view to say that your 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 work isn't working. Right.
1: Yeah. So yeah, which it really emphasizes really emphasizes the process yeah. approach. Like right. like we're at the editorial table, we're making a decision on product, right? Right. right? But we're in the process of building the magazine, so the process is always part of this conversation, and it actually starts in the classroom, and getting young writers to believe that they're they're developing, right? right? And they're not. I mean, maybe they don't jump fully formed from the head of Zeus. That mm-hmm. that right. it actually mm-hmm. takes practice and craft. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so um, listeners, please chime in and let us know what you think about all of these things um, on our corresponding Facebook page for this episode. And um, keep on reading, keep on writing, keep in touch. Thank you.
2: This podcast is produced through a joint venture of Drexel University's Office of Information Resources and Technology and the Painted Bride Quarterly Magazine. This podcast is the property of Painted Bride Quarterly Magazine. All rights reserved.